We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Greg Olson here to tell you about my new podcast, TE1. On the show, I had a chance to talk to my fellow tight ends who have revolutionized the position from an extra lineman to a dual threat superstar. And just like my guests have changed the game, this year, NFLSundayTicket.tv is revolutionizing your NFL viewing experience. Stream all the live out-of-market NFL games every Sunday on your favorite devices and never miss a moment from your favorite players. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use the promo code GREG88 at checkout and get 15% off your subscription. That's NFLSundayTicket.tv and the promo code GREG88. Subscribe to TE1 and get NFLSundayTicket.tv, an unmatched dual threat. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. He was the one on Twitter every Monday morning with highlights, all of that stuff, the guy that you're proud of, that you root for the Jets, and the only thing for a while people were proud of. So when you come out and say after three years, three really bad years, they've been 16 and 32 since they drafted Jamal Adams, you look at it and you go, man, you know... Maybe you're just, you're not what you're saying you were, you know, and that's okay. You're a great player. You want to go win, but don't say you're this guy going to this basement dwelling franchise and you're going to single handedly turn things around when after three years, you're looking to just go to a Super Bowl contender and not play on a new contract. It's not about the money. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup podcast brought to you by the Rock Pal Report. I'm your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that was tonight's guest, Connor Rogers, a Bleacher Report's wildly successful and returning for another season, Stick to Football podcast, and co-host of Badlands, which is an homage to Bruce Springsteen, of all people, the cornerstone show of TurnOnTheJets.com, discussing the trade of star safety Jamal Adams to the Seattle Seahawks. Connor, how the hell are you doing tonight? Good guys, it's good to hear from you guys. How are you? <laughs> Too bad. You you know we were talking off air and you talked about how busy you are these days. That's not a bad thing to be for a guy working for a company like Bleacher Report, huh? No, I love it. I'm glad football's back, even if it's just training camp videos and every single draft pick and every single free agent signing looking like the best of the year right now. If you log on to Twitter for an hour, so <laughs> listen, I I like the positive vibes. I like how busy things are, and I'm glad. Uh, We're getting ready for another NFL season. So, as we've been doing our AFC East training camp roundup series, we're talking about the New York Jets tonight, and obviously the place the conversation kind of has to start. I mean, we always like to talk about the biggest off-season storylines for each of our opponents. For you guys, probably the most recent one. (laughs) One of the biggest stories of the last few weeks, besides COVID-19, and besides the opening of training camps, was the drama involving your star player, Jamal Adams. And to me, it all started off as this kind of Ross and Rachel thing. The will they, the won't they. 
and then it slowly percolated and got more contentious as the weeks went by until Adams kind of just decided to take a flamethrower, it seemed like, from an outsider's perspective, to his relationship with the team just to get off the roster. I mean, is that is that a fair assessment of how it went down? Yeah, I think it's pretty accurate. I think when you look at this, it, you know, it, it felt like, honestly, that um, the national media was a little behind this story. I think that obviously things had flared up during the trade deadline, and a lot of that was induced or at least created by the Dallas Cowboys, um, you know, strate- uh, strategically leaking that the Jets and them had had conversations about Jamal Adams. You know, there's a lot of different reports. There's reports out there that Jamal was unhappy at the time that he was he was being mentioned in trade talks, but then there's also reports following up that he was texting Cowboys players at the time saying, hey, you know, convince your guys to come get me. So uh, I think when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, you look at this situation, I think Jamal Adams saw it and said, hey, you know, this is time where I can use my leverage, kind of uh, cause a stir here. If they are not going to pay me what I want, which was not just top safety money, right? And, and Jamal Adams had earned that. Jamal Adams had earned the top safety contract in the NFL, even after only three years of his rookie deal. I think he had absolutely justified being paid as the top safety, which would have put him above uh, Eddie Jackson's $14.6 million. But this wasn't going to be a $15 million per year kind of deal, guys. It would have been in the 18 to $20 million per year deal. And I think the Jets had a tough decision to make, right? Like, you don't want to lose your star player. You don't want to lose your best player. But they waited it out on purpose because they wanted to look at this and say, hey, if he doesn't want to be here, then we're not going to commit $20 million a year, right? You look at it like that. So, uh, unfortunately, it's really tough on both sides. Jets lose a great player. You don't want to let your great players walk out the door. But considering he had a foot out the door for a pretty long time, I could tell you inside the building, and rightfully so, they're happy with the return that they got from Seattle. And there's a little bit of them that's happy that they didn't send him to Dallas where he ultimately wanted to go. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, listen, there's egos involved in sports, especially in sports management. So you know that there's like, listen, we're the pettiest. We talk about it all the time. Our brand is the pettiest Bills podcast. And there's a little bit of petty there. There's there's a little grandma satisfaction that gets taken away from it, knowing, hey, you got out of here. We feel like we got fair return and we still feel like you didn't get what you wanted. So we're a little bit happier for it now. That's all well and good from the the drama standpoint, the narrative that kind of drives fans crazy. I mean, I I said it when we saw the Instagram video of him dancing with a cigar in his hand while he's playing dominoes, celebrating the trade. That had to just inflame the fan base, right? (laughs) I mean, absolutely. When they well, first off, before that video existed, they were long done with Jamal Adams, and I think when it comes down to it here. You know, there's there's fans that'll just simply stick by the team no matter what. There's fans that'll stick by the player no matter what. And then you have a majority that's usually in the middle. And, and for a very long time, Jets fans sat there and said, hey, Jamal Adams is our best player, which they are right about. Uh, pay the guy even after the three years, uh, which is not very common. And then we saw Christian McCaffrey and Miles Garrett get deals. But all this was going on before Pat Mahomes got paid. And I think that kind of rubbed some people the wrong way and the jets were confident they were going to pay jamal adams they just didn't want to do it in the middle of the pandemic and then by the time you know that was even realistic he was he had completely um decided that he was done with the organization so i think when you looked at the fans slowly started to turn where they said okay which is it right jamal adams had a lot of different reasons of why he didn't want to be with the jets anymore But ultimately, and guys inside that locker room, not all of them, but some of them felt this way as well. He was kind of just sitting there going, we're losing and it's not because of me. And whether that's right or wrong, and once again, he's a great player, you don't do that in football. You don't do it in (laughs) baseball. You know, there's... You can make an argument for it in basketball, right? Like, <laughs> because well, there's five players for each team on the court, but you just don't do that in football. No, football, and if you do, you genuinely, because, do you remember, are you, I mean, obviously you're old enough to remember, the Budweiser commercials with Leon? Leon, the yes, football absolutely. player? Yeah, that's the type of attitude that gets you branded a Leon. We have a guy on my softball team, who, his name is Dave, but he goes by Leon because he's that guy. Like, that's our nickname for him because that's exactly who he is. He's the guy who, when you lose a game 
and he flew out three times and then kind of jogged to first on a lazy grounder. And then he'll turn around and go, hey, guys, we suck. What do you mean we? You suck too. You guys suck. He'll look around and go, guys, you suck today. You, you should have, you dogged it in the outfield. You, you did this. It's like, wait a minute. <laughs> you sucked. You were here too. So. Yeah, it's problematic, right? Oh I mean, this my is a God. team that was 16 and 32 since they drafted him. And I'm not saying those 32 losses were because of Jamal Adams, but the thought process all of a sudden became, we've lost with you. We can lose without you. And, and, and Jamal, once again, just said certain things that rub decision makers the wrong way, right? He Boy, sat there and said, he, you know, he said, hey, I, I, you know, they wouldn't put Tom Brady and Aaron Donald in trade talks. And it's like, well, you haven't established, established <laughs> yourself anywhere close to that level. So no. for Jamal Adams, he's, he's right about a few things. He deserves to get paid, and he still hasn't been. And he absolutely is a great football player. But there was a lot of things he was wrong about and a lot of things where players on the Jets – front office people for the Jets and coaches for the Jets uh, simply will not miss about him off the field. Well, so with that, you know, now now you guys have moved on. I mean, schematically, your defense is going to take a hit. I know Greg Williams and Greg Williams and Pete Carroll have had some fun going back and forth with some uh, pettiness, which I'm, I'm all here for it. I'm here for all of it, kind of using the media to snipe at each other. But Ultimately, for all the vitriol involved with this situation, it's a calculated gamble. But I don't blame Joe Douglas. I mean, he has a sizable hole to dig your franchise out of. I mean, just Chris is is kind of the in-between here. It's not a secret to you or me that the New York Jets haven't been good lately. I mean, they had a little bit of success in the early 2000s. And then after going to -to back-to-back AFC championship games to end the decade, wins have been hard to come by. They've got one season with double-digit wins where they didn't make the playoffs thanks to Rex Ryan and the Buffalo Bills. A.J. Tarpley with a game-sealing interception, a a name that you'll literally never hear again outside of that one moment. And then outside of that, they finished third or fourth in the division in all but three of the seasons in between. When you look at it, Connor, it seems like so much of it has to do with suspect drafting. And that's a story that we as Bills fans are really familiar with. I know you're not sympathetic. I know Jets fans out there aren't going to be sympathetic about it. The Tannenbaum, the Idzik, and the McCagnan eras, that's like every front office nerd in Draftnik's worst nightmare. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, and I mean, I'm sympathetic to every poor drafting fan base. I cover the drafts all year round, guys, and, and do a draft-specific show where, I mean, it sucks, right? Like, you, it, it's it's awful when you look at the, what the Browns had gone through for a very long time. I mean, you said it. The Bills went through it for, for, for a very long time until really recently with Brandon Bean. I mean, we've seen it with the Dolphins. We've seen it with almost, you know, countless franchises. Somehow, and the Jets all... absolutely. It's amazing that the Jets actually had won for a, a bit of when they did because of, even then they did miss in drafts. But there's a consistent theme in football when you're drafting well you're typically one of the better franchises in football. Oh, of course. I mean, you look at what the Bills are accomplishing now because they make their front office makes smart decisions. You look at what the Jets did over the course of the last 20 years, Chris. They, you cut Chad Pennington to trade for the ghost of Brett Favre. You drafted a second-round quarter, second quarterback in Christian Hackenberg that if you go to profootballreference.com, he doesn't have a single statistic. Not one. There's, Never not, quite. there's not even anything to chart there. I mean, Crick's not even a pick six or an interception. Zero. He's a ghost. And I do believe, Connor, correct me if I'm wrong, the Jamal Adams draft, the only player you have left is Marcus May. That would be correct. Uh, Yeah, Marcus May from that one. Look at you, Chris, coming through with some actual football knowledge. Cheers to that, sir. Yeah, I saw Caparoso tweet out a (laughs) a spreadsheet of, like, your last five drafts. Oh, he always updates it. Yeah. So this post from gangrenenation.com pretty much encapsulates what I, th- what I feel like it is. I think it's the Jet fan experience, if I could put that in quotes. It was a, a comment from one of the reason, an article over there. Quincy and Winters both cut on the same day because that was Quincy and Nunwa was cut and Brian Winters, now a Buffalo Bill, was cut. It says, so we're down to Winters, Dakota Dozier, Geno Smith and Sheldon Richardson even left as active in the league out of the 19 players selected over the 13 and 14 drafts. WTF. I mean, the, I mean, he simply had no business being a GM. And 
obviously the cord being ripped out after two years, like that's almost unheard of for a GM. That goes to show you how bad it was and how evident it was. And, and I think that's what it, it kind of created a problem, right? Like for all Mike McCagnan's issues as a GM, he came in to a completely empty roster. You know, we use that phrase in football so much, right? Like mm-hmm. we're, we've been using it lately with Joe Douglas where it's like, hey, guys, he is, you know, I mean, you even said at the top of the show, he has his work cut out for him to fill out the roster. But it's common when a GM takes over with with what Idzik left the team with was one of those things where it was a four year hole. And, and that's rare in the free agency era of football. Like if you need four years to even have a chance to get out of that hole. The amount of damage you had done in such a in such a short period is, I mean, it's substantial. Well, and he's got this Herculean task now of trying to make the Jets a winning franchise, and he has to do it with the knowledge that. I mean, let's talk about the quarterback here for a minute, Sam Darnold. The narrative has existed. The two came out in the same class. There's been this narrative between Jets fans, between Bills fans, between NFL pundits. Josh Allen versus Sam Darnold. It's it's almost like that meme of the two Spider-Mans pointing at each other, and it's just like, you're the bad quarterback. And no one can really figure, because each of them shows flashes of what they can do really well, and they've also shown you some stuff that makes you want to just slam your face off the wall. Joe Douglas has this kind of, he's got this maddening task of having to try to rebuild this team out of this massive hole around what he's hoping is a franchise quarterback, but in order to find that out, you have to give that quarterback the pieces. I mean, I'll say this. Sam Darnold, he's shown flashes of ability. He's shown some refinement. He's also showed some of the inconsistency, though, that people, different inconsistencies, but it's the same thing people hate Josh Allen for. Sam Darnold is not without his warts. But it's hard to disagree that between the two quarterbacks, Allen is in a far superior situation in terms of the roster around him. You have to agree with me on that. My question is, how long, in your opinion, do you think it's going to take for them to build that around Sam Darnold? Well, I think you could point to what we discussed in length at the top of the show with the Jamal Adams trade and, and that being your outline. And, and you know, I had this conversation, actually, you know, in, in your guys' neck of the woods today on WGR because the question was posed to me once again about Darnold and Allen and, you know, and, and just that they're in such different situations. The Bills have honestly such a great roster on paper and a very very uh good coaching staff on in my opinion on both sides of the ball i know there's differing opinions on the offensive staff but i disagree with those uh that don't like the offensive staff i I think they have a very good coaching staff a very good roster on paper where the spotlight is kind of how far can josh allen take us right with the bills i think you look at it and you go hey you know they haven't won a playoff game since the 90s they finally have a really good roster on paper that can you know, obviously compete for at least a wild card spot. I think expectations are now going the division. And if they don't, a lot of eyes are going to fall back to Josh Allen. And, and with Sam Darnold, it seems like the theme has been, while we definitely focus on his highs and lows, everything around him makes it even harder to evaluate him. Because you look at the Jets roster on paper, you look at a failed head coach in Adam Gase, And you sit there and go, this is not a team that anybody is picking to win the AFC East. They're not a team that majority of analysts expect to compete for a wild card spot. And it makes it very tough to evaluate Sam. Uh, You see it already in training camp with a couple wide receivers sideline, how thin they are at the skill groups. It's made it very tough. Now, a lot of people sit there and go, well, if, if they pick top three next year, do they look at quarterbacks? Of course. If you're picking top three, every single thing went wrong. But if you're picking where you have to trade up for a quarterback, they're not going to use all of those picks to go get a Trevor Lawrence and, and or Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and throw him in the same exact situation that has made it so hard to develop and evaluate Sam Darnold. So I think Joe Douglas wants to be patient with this young quarterback. Let's not forget, he just turned 23 this summer. I mean, he's, he's, he's young younger kid. than Joe Burrow, oh, to put no. it in perspective. Jesus. But once again, younger you than still Joe Burrow. to evaluate him. Yeah, younger. That's crazy, right? A lot of people are very surprised by that. He's about a half year younger than Joe Burrow. But you still need to evaluate Sam Darnold this year as himself, right? The steps he takes, the steps he doesn't take. Sure, there's not a lot there. The offensive line has been a problem. But you do need to see growth. And it's without a doubt going to be a storyline. I mean, as long as he's with the Jets, until he finally shows, hey, I'm the guy, I'm not a question mark anymore, 
But I still think – I look at this roster on paper, guys, and I still think they have two years of rebuilding ahead of them. So you're talking about needing to – just in trying to help Sam Darnold get to where he needs to get to, we come to the last storyline, and it's kind of the elephant in the room. Adam Gase. I mean, the man has some obvious flaws, many of which we warned Jets fans about last year in the preseason, and they all came to just this stunning fruition – despite everybody's best attempts to build a roster and coach it. I mean, they went out in free agency and got what they thought were competent pieces on the offensive line. They went out and they had a top uh, top 10 defense. Their defense was solid for most of the season, except when their offense would just gas them out by the end of football games. But when you look at Adam Gase, he has a track record of flaws that all reared their head. First of all, even when he made the playoffs in Miami, his offensive lines routinely finished in the basement of the NFL in terms of both pass protection and run blocking, regardless of who he had at his disposal. His free agent acquisitions never really panned out. And then his draft picks, which I think might be the most damning thing for a head coach in the NFL. Your draft picks not only didn't grow underneath your tutelage, but in fact, some of them flourished after you left. Devontae Parker down in Miami had his first thousand yard season. Mike Kosicki went from zero touchdowns to five, and Kenyon Drake averaged five yards per touch without being under this kind of shroud of Adam Gase. In your opinion, as a head coach, is this... I mean, I've interacted with some Jets fans who treat... I, they, I've seen it on both sides. The fans who hate him, the fans who somehow defend him. Where do you fall on that spectrum? I mean, very far away from defending him. And it's been like that. You know, I literally always point back to a tweet I had when they were going through the coaching search process where I said, Adam Gase would be impossible to sell to the fan base. And it's interesting to hear from you that you still have interactions with fans that do defend him because I can't find many of them anymore. And maybe some weird accounts, you know, the Twitter accounts with 20 (laughs) numbers at the end of a first name. Uh, that, you know, who knows, could be related to him. Who really knows? But in all seriousness, it's just this was a bad hire, I think. And, you know, I sure I could be proven wrong after this year, I guess. I, I don't really even think that's very realistic. Uh, this was not a good hire at the time. I think Christopher Johnson, uh, you know, in, in his early stages of taking over the team from his brother was a little in over his head. And I think that the front office at the time, which was not Joe Douglas, kind of caved to ownership and said, if this is the guy you want, then, then let's hire him. And it didn't work out in one year, right? And in the, I'm with you that the concerns for me aren't as much with how bad it was last year on the offensive side of the ball because Greg Williams undoubtedly did a phenomenal job on the defensive side of the ball, especially without C.J. Mosley. And I think when you – and he'll have to do that again. You know – the history of Gase in Miami and the players that did thrive after he left has to be the most concerning thing. Now, his offensive line issues are, are abundantly clear, and Joe Douglas has come in, you know, kind of a man on fire to hopefully aid him in that. You draft Mackay Becton, you sign a bunch of pieces, one long-term piece in Connor McGovern at center, and they're going to go back to that well next offseason, guys. They're going to draft probably right tackle. They're probably going to look to sign a guard. You know, they're going to keep building this thing for the future. And I don't know if Gase will be a part of that, right? They're going to have to show serious strides on offense this year because at some point there's a trend where you're just not a good offensive coach in the league. <laughs> and maybe Adam Gase, his ceiling is, you know, a good offensive coordinator, right? Like I, I was talking to Chris Sims on my podcast the other day, and Sims was a quarterback on the Broncos when Gase was a wide receivers coach and had nothing but praise for him as an assistant. Loved being around him, thought he was a really bright guy. Sometimes it's overwhelming to be a head coach rather than just an offensive assistant. And it, with Gase at times, sure, there's some bright spots. You know, the Dallas game is one I think of. But overall, just just appeared in over his head. The offense seemed dated at times. And once again, just a lot of things that seem like simple concepts, right? You look at the Bengals game for one. <laughs> Not rolling your quarterback out when the same side is overloading your offensive line every time. It, not getting your quarterback away from pressure, not doing any favors like that. It's just things like that where it's been a problem. And if it doesn't get better this year, it's just hard to imagine Joe Douglas being on a six-year contract, Adam Gase being on a four-year contract. It's pretty obvious who goes out the door first. Oh, absolutely. Now, Chris, 
That leaves just one coach in the AFC East on the hot seat going into the offseason. When's the last time that happened? Jesus, I don't <laughs> I can't I can't remember. <laughs> Usually, we're, so you, bad. Yeah, usually we're involved in that. Oh my god! So you, <laughs> meant, you mentioned Makai Becton. This is the twenty the twenty twenty draft class. You mentioned Makai Becton. I've seen some things on social media about Makai Becton's going to be expected to step in and kind of set the tone for the offensive line. I've seen a lot of narrative starting to build, kind of in this direction. Now, having watched the way our team built our offensive line and kind of drafted around it, I always feel like throwing a rookie into any position and just banking on their production is a mistake. If we're talking about the expected draft class contributions for the Jets, their 2020 draft class, hopefully it's better than whatever they've been trying, like the McCagnan class where the old, like Ja'Kai Polite got cut before he ever played a snap for the team. Just last year. Hopefully this group is better. What do you expect to come out of this year's crop of rookies, specifically the two at the top, Mims and Becton? Well, I think to be fair, this is a year unlike any other, right? These are guys that had no OTAs, no rookie mini camp, um, you know, a different training camp where they really didn't get into pads until two days ago, and it's freaking the third week of August. Like yeah. that, that's the kind of stuff where. You, you know, it was going to be hard enough as it was, without a doubt. Especially a guy like Becton that gradually over time, I shouldn't even say gradually, he went from being a developmental guy at Louisville to one of the premier tackles in college football and is now being asked to be a starting left tackle as a youngster in the NFL. That's hard enough as it is. Now, fortunately for Becton, and he's been open to this himself, he said, I still need to improve my technique. Sometimes when you're that big and that athletic, you just win off of that alone or you recover off of that alone. And they've seen that in training camp already where his footwork might be a step too slow or his hands might be delayed and he still recovers because of so much length, so much strength and the ability to move at his size. So those are things where you go, okay, that gives us hope that he can be maybe an average starting left tackle this year. That, to me, is a win at his age in this offseason. They would gladly take that, and and I'm a believer that he will. He'll take his lumps in pass pro. He'll be a very, very good drive blocking, you know, run blocker. He'll, I think he'll make a difference in that area right away just because, once again, his size and movement ability. Now, when you look at Mims, this one is a little harder to project. Obviously, the well, target the share curve, is there. And the learning curve, you know, though, at wide receiver is so steep in the NFL. I mean, you've It's seen, very difficult. We've seen it with so many it's, good yeah. wide receivers. Some of the better wide receivers in football right now. Some of the guys who, and, and sometimes the ones who don't go on to become the better wide receivers in football, who get drafted really early, like the Mike Williamses of the world. There is a learning curve here that... It depends on the offense. It depends on the quarterback. There's so many things they have to click for a wide receiver to find success in the first place in the NFL. I feel like not just in a truncated season, but in general, these guys have a difficult time acclimating. Obviously, Mims is going to have a hell of a time. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you look at some of the top wide receivers in the game today, and you could Google them and see that they really did nothing their first two years in the NFL. So like you said, it's common. It's a steep learning curve. And for Mims, the the two bright spots for me with Mims and why you should hope for an impactful rookie season to a degree. Now, to sit here and go, oh, he's going to have 400 <laughs> yards, 10 touchdowns, isn't fair to anyone. But the Jets' red zone passing offense was abysmal last year. That's an opportunity for him to come in and see targets right away because that part of his game is already an A-plus on film. He did it at Baylor not last year, not the year before, but the year before that. Th- started doing that three years ago where you watch him as a sophomore against Oklahoma when they were the number three team in the country, and the guy catches three touchdowns for over 200 yards. He, he knows how to win in the red zone. He knows how to be physical at the catch point. It's the in-between-the-20s game that is going to take a little time. And in-between-the-20s, you're probably going to get a heavy dose of two tight end sets, a lot of 12 personnel, Jamison Crowder and Brashad Perriman, because they're the veterans on the team. And they want to run more heavy sets to help Sam Darnold give him better pass protection. So for Mims to come in and be this guy that plays 90% of the snaps, especially nursing a hamstring in the first couple of days of camp, I don't think that's realistic. But to be a guy that gets looks in the red zone, to be a guy that 
maybe in the late October part of the year is starting to be your second wide receiver. I, I think that's pretty fair, and I think there's a part of his game that is already NFL ready. See, you guys have to hope for that because if we're moving on to the segment where we talk about roster area strengths and weaknesses, we we all know, I mean, we talked about the offensive line a little bit. We touched on that. I mean, to me, your offensive line is kind of like in Yahtzee. Anybody out there who remembers the game of Yahtzee? When your grandmother I still was, play sometimes. <laughs> oh, wow. I was going to say, because when whenever my grandmother was really kicking my ass in Yahtzee, and you know, you roll a kind of a, you roll your five, and then you keep two, and you roll something, and now you got nothing. But you need a Hail Mary. Something has to work here. So you scoop all five back up in there. You shuffle them, and you roll them all, and hope that five new, <laughs> five new dice are somehow going to change the game for you. I feel like that's exactly what the Jets did with the offensive line this year. They said, screw it. We'll throw the whole thing out and start over again. So... When I think about this, I mean, we could talk about this all day. The various skill sets that they brought in. I know that, like, Van Rotten, he was out of football for a while. George Fant has kind of, he's got athletic upside. There's things to like about him. I've watched a lot of uh, Turn on the Jets film room with Joe Blewett, which for anybody out there on Twitter or anybody who's listening who has Twitter, go find him, follow him. It's, he does a really great series on a lot of these new additions that they've had. If you had to make a list of pros and cons for the offensive line right now, what would it be? Well, you can start with the most obvious con is chemistry, right? Once again, they had no OTAs. They couldn't get Becton and Cam Clark in there for a rookie minicamp. And once they're getting a late start now in regular training camp. So that's a big one. That's a really big one. And to go back to your theory, you know, the strategy of this, it's not that different than what the Bills did, you know, about a little over a year ago by saying, hey, let's. Let's go out and sign a bunch of guys, you know, to not these crazy deals, but players that we believe are underrated on film and can come in and be starters and gel as a unit. Now, my thing with the Jets is the long-term play here. Obviously, Becton at left tackle, really good in the run game. Connor McGovern at center, a very reliable pass protector on the interior, and they've had problems at center for a while now where Mm -hmm. this is somebody that should be a difference maker, especially in the communication department. Now, the rest of the guys could be one-year stopgaps, right? Alex Lewis, you know, really a one-year deal at left guard. Greg Van Rotten, in terms of guarantees, really a one-year deal on the right side. And George Fant, really a one-year deal and guarantees at the right tackle position. Like that you said, you know, this is a group that's gotten more athletic. I think George Fant is somebody that can help you in the outside run game. Where he struggles is his anchor and pass protection. He, he gets pushed back a lot. And Russ Wilson is somebody that can can get away from pressure as good as anybody and kind of mitigate those issues. And I think Darnold at times has shown the ability to do that as well, not on Russ's level, but somebody that can move in and out of the pocket. There's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. So I think with Fant, he's going to have tight end help enough where they they hope that his pass protection woes uh, won't be as bad as it was last year. You have Brandon Shell, who's actually Russell Wilson's new starting right tackle, the irony in that. Uh, Shell just had a really, really rough go of it at right tackle for the Jets. And at a minimum, Fant should be, you know, a little bit better, you would hope. And once again, Van Rotten is another guy that I think brings a little bit more athleticism in the run game, but I thought struggled a little bit at times in pass pro for Carolina. But once again, I thought he was better overall than Brian Winters has been for the Jets the last two years. And a lot of that with Winters is health. He can't stay healthy and he tries to play through it and it's, it leads to a lot of problems, but sticking with the Jets' offensive line, they got a little bit more athletic. You know, once again, I think they got a little bit more reliability inside and pass pro, especially with McGovern being that anchor in the middle. But to think this is a unit that can go from 31 to top 10 is just not realistic. They're just trying to be a middle of the pack unit at best right now. And the other thing that I think that I see, you hit you hit something interesting there because Chris. With a quarterback like Sam Darnold, you don't need he doesn't he's not a statue. He's not Tom Brady, right? He he doesn't need the oh my god, I have to have the impenetrable A gap pocket or else I'm screwed. But he did need a little bit of help there. And if this line can at least give him that, an improvement over last year, it may help his overall production, which is obviously what you want to see come out of this season if you're a Jets fan. The wide receiver group. To me, outsider, just being crass, it looks like a hot mess right now. If only because they all look like unknown quantities. I mean, Brashad Perryman, one season of more than 500 yards, 
11 total touchdowns, and he's never started more than five games. And somehow he represents the pinnacle of NFL accomplishment for the Jets wide receiver group. <laughs> what? In terms of the scheme, yeah, I, that, I would lean more on Crowder in that in that department. But okay. I agree that it's hard to rely on Perriman. So with that in mind, I mean, we know that their group, I mean, Mims, Cager, Campbell, these aren't Chesson. These aren't names that are going to scare anybody. Given the nature of Gase's offense, how do you see those pieces being brought in and used to try to manufacture a passing attack? There's not a whole lot of guys there that can just go out and do... There's no Julio Jones. There's no Stephon Diggs. There's no John Brown. You just have a lot of guys who have individual skill sets that I think are kind of... They're very defined at what they can do well and what they do not. So how do you foresee them kind of playing out in an Adam Gase offense this season? Quite simply, they won't. It's not those guys. <laughs> oh, it's no. going to be the tight end position and Le'Veon Bell. And, you know, I think when you look at it, Crowder obviously coming off a season out of the slot where he, he got almost 900 yards. You like that out of your slot receiver, but you don't want that to be your number one guy. And that's a huge issue. You hope Mims can be a pretty dominant possession player, but he's a rookie, and that's a lot to expect on. I was not a fan of letting Robbie Anderson walk out the door and bringing in Brashad Perriman instead. I think that's a huge mistake. They obviously, sir, Tampa suffered some injuries, and Perriman got to start and really thrived. I think it's tough to evaluate him coming out of that Arians offense and then coming to be that impact player for the Jets. So what it comes down to is this is going to be a team that runs a lot of 12 personnel, this is going to be a team that they look to Chris Herndon, who they did not have last year, to be Sam Darnold's number one or number two target. And after drafting LaMichael Pirine and signing Frank Gore, Le'Veon Bell is going to be used as a piece in the pass game a lot. And of course, he's still going to be used as a runner. But Le'Veon Bell needs to be used in a more creative way. You look at the game against the Raiders last year on the first drive where they were splitting him out and using him in dual back sets. It worked. He was extremely effective. I don't know why they got away from it. The guy has receiver's hands. He wins at the catch point. He's really good after the catch. It's something that, because they're so thin at receiver, it's so it's such a, I mean, just a flat-out lower-tier group in the NFL. It might be the thinnest wide receiver group in all of football when you look at it. They're going to have to lean on the tight ends and running backs a lot. And that goes back to their, you know, what we talked about with Sam Darnold why it's so hard to evaluate him this year, barring some kind of breakout player that they did not expect from this wide receiver group. Now, Chris, whenever we do this, we always like to look at the first five games of every team's season just to just to kind of wrap it up and put a bow on things. We take a look at their schedule stack up out of the gate. History shows that teams starting at the season four and one make the postseason 77% of the time. On the flip side of that, conversely, teams go two and three. You have a 22% shot at the dance. And if you go one and four, you have a 5% shot at making the playoffs. And you spend the rest of the year trying to dig out of that hole. So with that in mind, we take a look at each team's first five. And for the Jets, and this is the thing that I really want to get your opinion on. I was telling this to Joe Caparoso, your partner over at Badlands, just a few weeks ago. It would be hard to argue that the New York Jets are not the team most damaged, in my opinion anyway, by the lack of a preseason. You open against, at, well, you go to Buffalo, then you host San Francisco, then you go to Indianapolis, then you host Denver, and you host Arizona. The front seven talent in that first four-game stretch, Buffalo, San Francisco, Indianapolis, and Denver, how worried are you as a Jets fan and analyst about that stretch right there talking about this truncated offseason in which, I mean, Riley Reef was quoted by Pro Football Talk as saying that offensive line and defensive line are the positions most dependent on live reps because you need to get that muscle memory and the physicality down, not just knowing your X's and O's in order to do your job properly. How afraid for this team are you in that four-game stretch? It's a huge problem, right? Now, obviously, health is going to factor into all of this. You know, we saw, we look at Denver last year, they lose Bradley Chubb for the year, and Von Miller was just not himself. He was a good player. He wasn't the best pass rusher in football we were used to seeing. Those guys are expected to come back and hopefully be one of the best pass rush tandems in all of football. Obviously, you look at a team like Indy after trading a first round pick for a player like Defoe they're expecting really big returns from him and hopefully some production on the edge from some of their recent draft picks. So it's tough to sit here and just be 
doom and gloom and say, wow, those units are going to come out and, and have eight sack kind of games. But they're obviously very good on paper, very good units on paper. And the Jets' offensive line right now, at best, is a giant question mark. So it's going to be one of the toughest things. It's why I keep saying I think we're going to see them in a ton of heavy sets, and that can limit your passing offense at times unless you have the tight ends that are athletic enough to be effective pass catchers in that. You know, we haven't seen Ryan Griffin, who was coming off a decent season as their t- their second tight end. Really, there was no expectations for him. You know, he ends up catching five touchdowns and ends up being okay. If you have him back as your second tight end with Herndon, then I'd sit here and tell you they're going to run a ton of 12 personnel and try to give this offensive line as much help as they possibly can. But it, it's a brutal schedule for the Jets. Uh, we're going to see how no fans affect some of the places they would go or some of the trips that teams have to make to them. That, to me, is very interesting, especially a place like Buffalo where you go up and it's it's obviously crazy week one. You're probably not looking forward to going up to Buffalo week one when there's fans well, up I'm there. T- it's, it's a gigantic difference maker. They so, just said today the know, Bills are looking that, yeah. into the prospect of having fans in the stadium week one. It's going to be tough with, with Cuomo. He's been oh. pretty against it from the beginning. But, I mean, I, I'm not a politician, and I can't speak to what will happen. In, I mean, God, guys, we're less than a month away. Less than a month away. That. So it's, it's you know, and, and, and it's, it's a competitive advantage. You look at the Chiefs come out, and the Chiefs are expected to, what, have, I think, 30% of the stadium full? Yeah. That's, it's, a diff, it's a difference maker to me. So if you're a governor, there is going to be pressure on you from – an organization like the Bills. Hey, why can't we have fans in the stands? We've done everything the right way for a very long time right now, especially in upstate New York. And our well, and our ownership it, that's group. A, it's a tough issue. Our ownership group has a seat at the table at Cuomo's kind of, he created this round table of business, you know, influential business owners, other politicians, scientists, who, have, and our owners have a seat at the table for those discussions. So, They've they've won lobbying on sports betting. They've won lobbying on a number of different issues. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Lightning round before we let you go. Your projections and expectations. Le'Veon Bell, you're talking about him being involved in the passing game more because really you lack quality targets anywhere else in the roster. Under or over a 1,000 total yards from scrimmage? Oh, I think he hits 1,000. I think when you look at the target share of this offense... If he doesn't, it would be extremely disappointing, right? There's a ton of targets in the pass game for him, or even if he runs for, you know, 700 yards, do we think he's going to have an under 300 receiving yards? So for me, I would still, you know, is it the Leviana Bolds? Not necessarily. He hasn't really had a lot of help. Uh, did come into camp, you know, down a lot of weight, which is good for Le'Veon Bell, but uh, I think I'd go over that mark. Denzel Mims, you talked about him being a threat in the red zone, under over five and a half touchdowns. Ooh, that's a good one. Because I, I, you gave it the half, I'd go under. I think Mims will sit right at five touchdowns this year. <laughs> ah, it's always that half. that You know what I mean? The, you can't ever just give anybody a baseline under over. Sam Darnold, under over 3,650 yards. If you're talking about the yards of the quarterback, the yards of the quarterback is tough. Let's see what he had, what he finished with last year, minus three games. I always like the touchdowns with Darnold. But I was going to say, I think he came down. I think he had 3,600. He was right at 3,000. Oh, right at 3,000. Okay. And you put it at what? I thought when I was looking at it, I remember 3,650 was the line I came up with. I'd go under that. I think that's a big jump in extra 600-plus yards. Especially with the skill position group that he has at his disposal. Yep. Finish in the division for the New York Jets. I've had them at third. I actually already did my whole season predictions because we're doing division previews on stick to football. So when I had the AFC East, I had the Jets in third at six and ten. I had the Patriots and Bills each winning ten games, Miami winning five. Oh, so you put yourself above the Miami Dolphins, huh? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know about you guys, but all of my faith in Ryan Fitzpatrick to to lead a – very successful season. I know he had some good games last year, but, you know, Miami's doing some things the right way. I, I think, you know, let's not forget how that team started last year, and I, I just don't think the rebuild is over there. My thing with the Dolphins was just the all the new pieces they got amongst free agents and the draft and this COVID offseason. I don't know if they're... Uh, it's a if, lot. Yeah, I don't know if they, they have the chance to have built any on-field communication with each other, so... 
I'm with you. And I think it's a year with them where, I mean, sitting here and saying, you know, putting the Jets over them, the Jets at six wins and the Dolphins at five is really nothing to celebrate for either side. It's the bottom. The bottom point is, in my opinion, there are two teams in the division competing for the division title. And there are two teams that I do not view as wild card uh, contenders right now. I, I think it's really as simple as that, how the division is split. And then here's the one, since you brought it up, I'll throw it on. Adam Gase survives the 2020 season as head coach of the New York Jets, yes or no? And he's expected to coach in 2021? Yep. No. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. Yeah. I do not expect that at all. Oh, I think the more interesting question is, does he make it through the entire year, or does Greg Williams get a couple games to be the head coach? Well, and that would be poetic justice, wouldn't it? I mean, the the... When you think about how Machiavellian that whole thing went down, McCagnan, Gase, you know, McCagnan, it almost seemed like avoided Mike McCarthy as a head coach because he wanted someone who he thought he would have ultimate authority over. And he said, well, there's no way this guy could ever undermine me. And then Gase undermined him and got him kicked out of the building. And it would just be fitting if Gase was fired because Greg Williams kind of undermines him as the best leader in that locker room. Wouldn't you agree? At least for a couple of weeks, but absolutely. I mean, you look at, you know, how things have gone for Adam Gase, and and obviously he had completely turned his back on a regime that hired him. Uh, and, and for all the things he's done wrong, I do think he was right, you know, to vouch for a guy like Joe Douglas to come in and run the Jets. I think that's a good thing for the New York Jets. But Who knows? Maybe by listen, the time you, his... uh, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. <laughs> I was going to say, maybe by the time his career in New York is over, you guys look back on it fondly as the best thing Adam Gase ever did for you was helped you find the GM that saved your franchise. I mean, listen, there are a lot of Jets fans out there that, that truly do believe that. And uh, if there's anything they'll be able to thank him for at the end of this, that would be the one thing you could point to. Well, no. if, you know, if Gase gets fi- if Gase gets fired, I could see him getting hired by Nationwide. I'm sure they need a head coach in Peytonville. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's truly incredible. Um, the the endorsement call that sold the whole thing through to ownership. But here we are, year two of Adam Gase uh, coaching the New York Jets, boys. I uh, can't wait for it. I'm sure you're waiting. With, you're just waiting with bated breath to see it. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find all of your upcoming work. Of course, uh, at Connor J. Rogers on Twitter, doing a ton of different football things for Bleacher Report, but most notably Stick to Football, the Stick to Football podcast, you know, covering the draft all year round. Uh, be a little different this year with less college football, although we'll see how that shakes out, but always covering the NFL. So listen, the Jets win or lose, I still love football season. That does not uh, alter my football mood. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to get this thing going here, guys. Sunday, Sunday, Sundays are coming back in the NFL with NFLSundayTicket.tv. You can stream every live out-of-market NFL game every Sunday afternoon on your favorite devices. Plus, Red Zone and DirecTV Fantasy Zone channels. Never miss your favorite teams and favorite players. No matter where you live, NFLSundayTicket.tv is your key to the most glorious Sundays ever. Use the promo code BLUEWIRE at checkout to get 15% off your subscription. Visit NFLSundayTicket.tv and use promo code BLUEWIRE. From tight muscles, tough workouts, signs of aging, to simply making it through each busy day, everyone understands what it feels like to be tense and sore, so everyone can benefit from TheraOne's CBD products. Started by Dr. Jason Worsland, TheraBody exists to provide you with the best scientifically validated natural solutions to help soothe your body and relax your mind. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. It started with the revolutionary Theragun percussive therapy device when Dr. Jason saw the benefits of using CBD in his treatments. He created TheraOne to bring you CBD products done right. A lot of CBD products claim organic, but still contain up to 30% filler, and these fillers are potentially toxic. TheraOne tests their products four times before they get to you, 
every product is USDA certified organic grown in the U.S., and their CBD extracts are the highest quality available anywhere. Use TheraOne's warming lotion in your morning routine, the cooling lotion, or massage oil to recover, body balm for targeting relief, and sleep tincture to drift into a deep night's sleep. And now, through Labor Day, Monday, September 7th, TheraOne is offering our listeners a buy one, get one free for all TheraOne products. But you've got to go to theragun.com slash bluewire. If you don't love what you get from TheraOne, send it back for a full refund within 30 days of purchase. This is not something TheraOne is likely to do again. Buy one, get one free at theragun.com slash bluewire, but only until Labor Day. Go right now to theragun.com slash bluewire. All right, we always appreciate Connor Rogers coming on the show. You can find him on Twitter at Connor J. Rogers. His Stick to Football podcast is pretty great. I'm glad that they're doing it again this year. I'm glad, I'm glad that they finally got that rev back up. It's out and rolling. Guys, I urge you to go listen to that. But, Chris, listen to this conversation we just had. Adam Gase getting fired maybe midseason. I would love the that. The Jets with no skill position players. Yeah. This, this seems almost too good to be true, right? Yeah, it's like this could be a throwback year to when they had Kotite. There's a common theme now that we finished up our kind of around the division training camp preview series, just kind of getting a feel for where these teams stack up. Why has every single guest pegged the Bills winning the division? The the one that hurts the most is Schofield saying it. <laughs> that that one hurts the most. Uh, it's not comfortable, Chris. It's like I'm it's like I'm trying to wear a vest and it's just a little too small. Like that most, sleeveless jean jacket vest? Hey, that sleeveless jean jacket vest is the one of the best articles of clothing I own. <laughs> I'll have you know. <laughs> Folks, don't worry. We've got plenty more content in the coming weeks as it, as it relates to the AFC East. The AFC East Roundup Podcast, it's here to stay, Chris. This has been fun, right? Yeah, it's been fun. I mean, people like the intro and everything that I do, make it, making it sound. I mean, I don't know what you bring to the table, but at least this thing <laughs> sounds good. It's got a great intro. The, the guests have been good. You're welcome. Oh, we're going to keep it rolling week after week. Like I said, our brand is petty, Chris, and we do it better than anyone. So with that, every week we're going to be back here with guests from the Miami, covering the Miami Dolphins, covering the Patriots, covering the Jets, to bring you an AFC East-centric show. Chris, it's time. It's the Bills. Chris, this is the first time that this division has felt like it's there for the taking. By somebody else other than those jackasses in Foxborough. Yeah, I know. I know it's weird to to be coming into a football season with the Bills being the consensus by the guests that we have. And the last time that it happened, I had a bull haircut. <laughs> I can't even. Yeah, and now you have a mohawk. Proving even that, better. Proving that your life is just one long string of bad hairstyles. <laughs> Jesus Christ, folks! We have a ton. We have a ton of great content in the pipeline for you over the coming weeks and the run into the season. I can't wait. Chris, this has been a blast, but we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Connor Rogers. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your AFC's Roundup. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball back in action, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts.